You guys know I'm always talking about tracking my money. You can't manage what you don't measure. And I use a paid app to do that because I'm kind of crazy. But when I talk to you guys, my readers and my listeners, you want a free solution. You want something that links to your personal accounts and tracks your net worth. You want something that has analysis tools and a personalized plan for you. And you want real wealth management advice. The free answer is personal capital. Personal capital is an awesome tool, and it is hard to believe that it's free. And the world agrees. Year after year, personal capital is recognized as a best-in-class budgeting and tracking tool. And that's why I feel good about being affiliated with them. So if you want to start getting your finances in order, and you want to do it for free, start with personal capital. Here's how. Go to the show notes, click on that link, and let them know that the best interest sent you, and start your free account today. That's personal capital, your all-in-one free personal finance tool. Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hey guys, welcome to episode 26 of the Best Interest Podcast. I am Jesse Kramer. My guest today, he's an absolute all-star of a guy. We had a terrific conversation about his struggle with debt, falling into debt, but then ultimately conquering debt. It was really a brass tacks, personal finance conversation with some lessons about getting into financial trouble, but then even more lessons about how to drag yourself back out. I hope you guys enjoy. But real quick, before I introduce our guest, could you please pause the show and then in your podcast app, give a rating and review to the Best Interest Podcast. Why? Because the Best Interest, it's a growing small business and I want to keep making this content for people just like you. A rating and a review, it lets all those fancy algorithms know that you care about this podcast. And I know I'm asking for your time, I'm asking for your effort, and I know that you don't owe me anything. So I really appreciate those of you who decide to sacrifice that time and effort to leave that rating and review. Thank you guys. So with that, let's go meet our guest. My guest today has a wonderful story about the struggle, but the ultimate conquering of debt. Yes, debt, that pesky quicksand that has kept so many of us from optimizing our own finances. And by telling his story honestly, the ups, the downs, the successes and failures, he's now helping other people overcome their debt. So I'm very excited today to introduce Adam Schaup to the Best Interest Podcast. Hey, Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Jesse. How about yourself? Doing great. Doing great. We had uh, thunderstorms rolling through here tonight in Rochester, but everything's calm now. If you do hear a deep rumble, though, they might be they might be coming back. <laughs> um, I was thinking, Adam, let's not bury the lead too much. Let's talk through your debt story. And I was thinking maybe we could split it up into two halves, you know, one half going down into the valley of debt and then the second half of digging yourself out of debt. So first, do you want to kind of walk us through the the bad side, if you will, of your debt story? Yeah. So, I mean, it basically all started, um, 
I mean, back when I was 18, getting ready for college, you know, I started taking out uh, student loans to co uh, cover the cost of tuition. And luckily, wasn't using it to fund like living expenses. Like I've heard, you know, some other stories going down that road. But so I started at 18, taking loans out. And, you know, I had a, a pretty, I'd say a basic idea. I knew what it was. You know, I knew I was going to have to pay it back, but I didn't really fully understand, you know, what that was going to take to pay it back. So 18 to 20, you know, accruing student loans as each semester went on. Uh, there was a Wells Fargo on campus where one of the nice bankers there encouraged me to open up a credit card because yep. it would be good. Yeah, it'd be great for my credit, he said. So I said, hey, that sounds good. Um, opened up a credit card. And then shortly after that, bought uh, music festival tickets. Didn't go to the music, fe music festival, sold my tickets, and then did not use the proceeds to pay off the balance. And that's how I kind of say that the, you know, quote unquote, bad debt had started at that uh -huh. point. <laughs> and so it's uh, it's funny to talk about now. It wasn't as funny in the mo at the time, but I basically carried a balance on that credit card for years before I ever paid it off. And I, I don't even want to look back to see how much interest the younger Adam was paying, but I'm sure it was uh, not pretty. And then just as kind of the years went on, you know, I got another credit card. I think it was a travel credit card. Um, pretty sure it was American Airlines. Ended up racking that thing up pretty high. Uh, use uh, one, one of my stupid moves, transferred the debt over to a personal loan, and then continued to use the credit card. And I you know, I'm at, I'm blame I'm to blame for that, but the structure in places I had a budget, I'd fill it out each month, but I would never follow it. So my spending was super, you know, unpredictable. You know, I'd see something for a couple hundred bucks. I'd buy it. Wouldn't think anything of it. And yeah, then basically I was probably 25, you know, out of college working, working a full-time job and just wasn't really paying much attention to what I was carrying around. And by that point, it had, you know, I had a car, a car loan. I had all sort, you know, still had the credit cards, the student loans, was kind of making the minimum payments and was just kind of plugging along with, you know, at that point, it probably was a little around the mid thirties, upper thirties, thousand dollars in debt. And I just thought it was normal. I thought everybody had it. You know, I knew I should have probably paid off the credit card, but because everybody else wasn't, I thought it was all right. And that's kind of how it all slowly progress from student loans to credit cards, to personal loans, to an auto loan. And it all just kind of slowly accumulates if you're not paying attention, which I wasn't. It's the proverbial slippery slope. Mm -hmm. You touched on the Wells Fargo on campus. I had a chase on campus at the university of Rochester. It's very interesting looking back now that there was a bank right there that was absolutely marketing credit cards to 18 year olds. I don't know what to think about it, to be honest with you, Adam. I'm curious what you think about it, considering you signed up for one. On the one hand, it feels, I don't want to say predatory because adults make their own decisions, but it feels a little curious that there's this corporate entity on an educational campus looking to make a profit, essentially, off of the student body. Do you have any thoughts on that? Or what do you think about it now, looking back on, on that situation? Well, I mean, if I was to think back at when I was 18 or when I was cruising around campus, I thought it was super convenient. At the time, I used Wells Fargo. So they had University of Nevada, Reno. They were really good with having a lot of amenities and <clears throat> ATMs, all sorts of stuff on campus. So basically, if you're living on campus or nearby, you could more or less get anything you needed on campus. Um, but just in terms of having the branch... I'll, I'll do the same as you. I'll, I'll do the boring move. I'll stay away from the predatory. So I'll, fo I'll follow you in that suit. But I do think that 
I mean, it, it's hard to deny their financial incentive to stay on campus and basically, you know, market to students who are kind of walking around, hey, you have student loans, you're low on cash, you're probably working 20 hours a week, you don't have a whole lot, you know, come in here, check it out, we'll see if we can help you out, you're going to build credit along the way and those things. And I know it wasn't just myself, I had a couple of buddies that also went in there too. And, you know, they started you out with, I think it was an $800 limit, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure what it was, something small, but you know, just kind of like you talked about with the slippery slope, it's just, um, you know, you start with $800, they slowly start bumping it up, you don't pay the balance, and then it just uh, slowly grows and grows. But I mean, in one hand, it was convenient having them on campus. But just on the other hand, it was, you know, I can't tell Wells Fargo how to run their business or tell them not to be, you know, marketing credit cards to college students. Um, But it was it was an interesting little situation with having them, especially and they were they were parked conveniently by the uh, our student center. So basically all the food and, you know, the what do you put it or what do you call it? The the store where they sold all the, you know, the campus gear and everything like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Just like the the bookstore with all the with all the The bookstore clothing and stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah. All the places where you'd either be walking through and or spending money. Exactly. So it's definitely the building that gets arguably the most foot traffic on campus. So also a smart, smart tactic on their part. Yeah. Yeah. Smart tactic. And and it is the kind of thing of let them run their own business. And if there are any 18 year olds out there listening, be very aware of why that bank is there on campus. And in in your case, Adam, why it's located where it's at. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is to provide you a service, but that service absolutely can come at a cost if you're not paying down that bill every month. I wanted to ask though, Adam, walk us through this. You said you transferred your credit card debt to a personal loan. Is that right? Mm-hmm. What are the logistics of that? So basically I had a American Airlines credit card because around that time I was doing a little bit more traveling. I had started seeing my now wife. She lives in Brazil. So I had made a couple trips down there and I thought it'd be wise to get a travel card to get some points and whatnot. But basically in essence of what I did was I had, I think it was around six grand in credit card debt. And I went to lend, I looked at a couple online, you know, personal loan places. Um, I know Marcus, I think from Golden Sachs, Golden Sachs has one. And then the one I ended up going with was Lending Club. And basically all I did was um, kind of applied for a loan. They gave me, or not applied for a loan. I applied for like a balance transfer, I guess is the way to put it. They basically said, yeah, we'll take that debt on. We'll give you, I believe the interest rate was around 8%, something like that. So much better than the 20 plus that I was paying on the credit card. But, and then at that point they did some sort of transfer and then the credit card debt got wiped down to zero. And then at that point it had transferred completely to the personal loan. And then I had a monthly payment that I had to make to them. Gotcha. Okay. And then at this point, do you still, do you still have credit cards or at one point did you close credit cards and reopen them or how does that work? So at this point, it's kind of hard to keep track of all the moves I had done. Um, but basically, at that point, I believe I still had the uh, the Wells Fargo still had some balance on it. I, I still have never closed that one just because it's got the longest, uh, the length of history. Mm, so I'm keeping yeah. that one for the for the credit report. Um, but I had it at sometimes I had moved money. I think there was an American Express balance, free balance transfer one that I had moved it over there. So I had. At that point, I, I, you know, I had a handful, probably like three credit cards that I was kind of working with. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a great lesson. Credit card balances, or so, credit cards in general, I should say, are such a useful tool. They're mm-hmm. so portable, accepted everywhere. 
You can spend money without carrying the cash on you. But this story is evidence of some of the some of the downside of credit cards. I compare them to a, a sharp kitchen knife, right? It can allow you to cook up this gourmet meal. But if you're not careful and you're not vigilant, you are going to slice your own finger off. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it happens before you know it, too. It's kind of one of those things that, you know, especially with just the way it's set up in the system, you know, payment comes at the end of the month or whatever their statement date is. And you're kind of swiping, 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 especially if you don't have a budget, you're not really paying attention. Then when that bill comes at the end of the month and you're, you know, the amount of cash you have in the bank or wherever it's in isn't what the bill is, then it get, then obviously the problem started. Right. And let's talk about that for a second. You'd mentioned in your initial story how you you had a budget, but you didn't really follow it. Mm-hmm. And I think I can relate to that in my early days. But tell us a little bit about what, what exactly does that mean? What, what were the actions that you went through? So I had, um, I think it was an Excel file. And yeah, each month I would fill out what I thought my expenses were going to be. Now, I was grossly underestimating what my expenses were going to be. Um, and so I basically filled it out, but what I didn't do was I never followed up on it or anything. So if a transaction happened, you know, whatever it may have been, maybe I was paying my car loan or maybe I was buying groceries or whatever it may have been, I was never really tracking what it was. And so I think I was getting kind of that good feeling each month where I was like, Oh, I'm creating a budget. And then, but then I would get the sick feeling at the end of the month where I was like, yeah, I didn't follow this thing at all. And everything's, (laughs) and everything's a mess. And so that's kind of, that's more or less what happened. And it, it went on for a long time before I really sat down and got it figured out. Yeah. It's one of the downsides about digital budgeting, especially. That's exactly what I did, Adam, for a couple of years when I started my budgeting habits. Mm-hmm. I would budget at the beginning of the month. And you had mentioned the, the word that I see most often in the personal finance space is tracking. Tracking is the activity that you do after the month is over or as the month is going on to look backwards in time and say, what have I actually spent? And I was great at budgeting ahead of time, but because the, it, was a, it was digital and not like an envelope system with real cash, mm-hmm. I was allowed to overspend my budget however I wanted to. And that was biting me for, for months and months and months until one day I finally decided to budget the real way which was tracking afterwards and, and really making sure that I wasn't overspending that, that budget. Yeah. And I think in the other part too, just to touch on that, I think it's really easy to kind of go down that slippery slope when it's just you, when it, you know, if you're single or maybe you don't have a support system or any accountability part, it's really easy because um, you can pretty much rationalize or justify any decision you make financially to yourself because you're only rationalizing it to yourself. Um, what I've found now being married, um, is that I can't easily do that. I have to rationalize or discuss these financial decisions with another person in a different set of mind. So I think that's one of the things I'll talk about on Twitter, you know, from time to time is that, you know, if you're struggling with the budget, it's to find some sort of accountability partner or somebody that can help you through it because it's, it's like you said, it's easy to just kind of set it and then not really follow along just because you're the one that's setting the budget and you're the one that's making all the decisions. Let's start talking about that. Let's start talking about the climb out of debt because I know having talked to you before offline that your wife, she wasn't your wife then, but played an instrumental role in you ending up getting out of debt. So talk us through that story. Yeah, so what had happened was we, um, she was applying for grad schools in the United States I somewhat selfishly, I was living in Nevada since 2012 at that point. It was 2019 then. 
and we were kind of, she was looking at schools where to go to. And I basically gave her a list of States that I would move to. <laughs> I said, cause I understood Nevada is a little bit expensive for international students. And I kind of said, here's where I'll go. Here's where I won't go. And Florida was on the all go to list. And so we ended up, she got into university of South Florida. We moved to Tampa, you know, got an apartment, all that good stuff. And we were just kind of humming along, you know, buying stuff for the apartment. And I had no, you know, I was fully aware of, you know, what I was carrying credit card debt, the personal loan at that time, but we weren't quite at that stage yet in the relationship where I was ready to kind of open everything up and be like, this is what I have. Um, and so basically what had happened was we kind of got to a point where we were trying to figure out how to pay for her fall tuition. And it was, I think it was like eight grand or something like that. It was, it was, it wasn't crazy money, but it was enough money that I knew was going to be a little bit of a struggle to get. Um, and so basically at that point, I, you know, I was kind of looking for some lender places and tr figuring out how I was going to, how we were going to pay for that. And uh, just so everybody's aware, it's I basically, we were kind of doing a payment plan system. Like I would, because our parents are from Brazil, it was just, they couldn't get a loan in the United States to pay for it. And the conversion rates are crazy. So I was basically going to pay for it and they were going to reimburse what the, what the rates were. But because of what my credit was and just kind of how much debt I was carrying, I couldn't get in a loan for that amount. Mm. So then at that point, and that just as a person that was pretty demoralizing. And I kind of, I felt really poorly about myself just because, you know, I felt that I was supposed to be the provider in that regard and I couldn't um, meet, fulfill my obligations. So once that was kind of going on, I kind of let her know what, what was happening. And then we just sat down and I said, Hey, here's everything. And I showed her all the credit cards, what, you know, what I owed. I showed her my student loans, showed her the personal loan. And one thing else, you know, I always applaud her for it is it's, it would have been incredibly easy for her to just go into attack mode or, you know, call me stupid or an idiot or whatever, which arguably I was like, I'm not going to deny that. But what she basically did and just her personality is she goes, all right. When she opened up, she opened up, I think it was my laptop, opened up a Google Doc thing and just started writing a budget and just was like, what do you have to pay each month? What's your money? And we started and our first budget was literally just a Google sheet that just had one, uh, one column that said income, one column that said expenses. And we just started writing everything down. And from that point, it just, we became a team financially. We weren't, we weren't married yet. We didn't combine our finances, but she became at that point, my financial accountability partner just for, um, trying to you know get out of the mess we were having and because she knew too it's like at that point we had talked about marriage we we were pretty sure that that's the route we were going to go and you know i think she knew as well that she wanted to get this cleaned up too which which is right like i, I don't fault her for that at all but so she was just a, a huge part and kind of like you know once you get once you kind of hit that quote-unquote rock bottom and you realize that something has to change that's pretty much what it was Pick your, pick your book on habits, pick your psychological study. A lot of them will talk about accountability partners and how important it is to be able to look someone else in the eye and say, yes, I am on track or yes, I am improving and, and make me hold myself accountable and, and I will hold myself accountable to you. So it's great that you guys were able to find success with that. One thing you touched on, Adam, mm -hmm. that reminded me of something we talked about on Sunday night is this idea of, you know, when you needed to have the credit to help her, it wasn't there. Yep. And it came up in our car talk on Sunday night when we were talking about car loans and how a credit score can affect 
the interest rate that you will have to pay on your car loan, you don't know in life when you'll need credit or you don't know in life when your credit score will matter. And that's one of these reasons, you know, that that lack of understanding of when the unknown is coming is a great reason to have your finances in order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's one thing. So, you know, back when we were kind of starting the debt free process, I was yeah, I, I was big into Dave Ramsey. I, I mm-hmm. love that. I listened to the podcast a lot. I was all about it. And that's kind of one of the one of the areas where I veer off of what he teaches or I just don't really necessarily agree with because he, you know, he teaches to cut up all credit cards, close all your account lines. And basically, if your credit score dies off, you can go to zero. And if you're going to buy a house, just do manual underwriting. But um just from watching other YouTube videos of people who, you know, have followed his uh, advice from what I've seen a couple of videos where people are just like, that is the one thing I wish I wouldn't have done is kind of gone the, I'm going to avoid credit at all costs because there are scenarios like that where you n- you never know when you need it. Right. I didn't realize that's part of Dave Ramsey's advice. It, it makes sense now that you mention it. I've always heard the cut up your credit cards and don't go into debt. I, I have always heard that. But I never thought it through and realized that one of the ramifications of that is that your credit score essentially disappears on you. Yeah, um, he, he uh, I don't it's I don't think he has it like specifically written out in any of his baby steps. But he talked about it a lot in the podcast where, you know, people would call in with that fear. You know, it's, I'm going to close all my lines and I have no credit. And then he would kind of, you know, respond, well, I don't have a credit score and everything's fine. <laughs> and you, you could just do manual underwriting if you want a house and. From what I've heard, manual underwriting is just an absolute headache, way more information and stuff you have to give to the banks to get it done. But yeah, he um, he talked about it quite frequently on the podcast when I was listening. Interesting. Now, I just did a quick Google, Adam. It says here that Dame's, uh, Dave Ramsey's net worth is approximately $200 million. Ooh. So he might be able to get away with not having a credit card or a credit score uh, <laughs> unless he's planning on you know buying the New York Yankees or something like that. Yeah, I think he fails to make that comparison. Oh, you <laughs> yeah. don't have a 200 million net worth. All right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you sat down with your wife and in your wife's infinite wisdom, she said, let's set out a budget. Let's put a plan together from that plan moving forward. What did that the next few months or the next few years look like until you got to where you are now? Well, so then basically what we did was, um, once it started budgeting, we basically did the snowball method. We, you know, picked something that had the highest balance, but technically did a little out of order. There was a, st- a couple student loans that had low interest that were high balance, and we kind of pushed those to the side. So we did, we, we finished the credit cards, we finished the personal loans, and we were making minimum payments on everything. And then obviously, um, by the time about February rolled around, I think we had pretty much all the credit cards and personal loan cleared. And then it was basically just student loans at that point. And then in March, obviously, when the world halted, and the federal government paused student loans, we, you know, we kind of made that decision where, we, you know, this, this also gets debated on Twitter quite a bit where it's, you know, do you invest, invest the money, it's low interest debt, or do you pay it off? And in our mindset was kind of, you know, we know in the future that we're going to be bringing in um, a healthy amount of income, regardless of how that is. And so for our perspective, it was a lot more psychological. It was just, we want to close this door of debt, of this personal debt and get it over with. And so as the months rolled on, obviously Florida was in lockdown, just like everybody else was. 
so it kind of helped uh it helped with the budget a little bit we couldn't go out and spend at restaurants or couldn't go do activities really so that really decreased that amount of money and just everything we could we just kept piling on and piling on um onto the student loans and ended up uh i don't know how in depth uh, you want me to go with this but then in august basically long story short what had happened was usf went full remote the campus our uh, lease okay. our yeah, and our lease was ending. And so we kind of made the decision, okay, are we going to stay in Florida where you're just taking remote classes? You know, we had friends out there, but we didn't have a ton of friends and mm -hmm. a lot of connections. And basically what we ended up deciding was we're going to move back to Nevada. You're going to take all your classes online. Um, and we're just going to move in with my parents. We're not going to, you know, have any real living expenses, I guess is the way to put it. And yeah, and then basically we moved back in August, making payments, slowly chunking. We had the we have our wedding coming up in November, so some payments started showing up for that. And basically, what we just did, like kind of like how Dave says, I'm not I'm not marketing or affiliating for Dave no here, worries, but no worries. But basically, what we did was we just kind of paused our payments on the loans, um, kept cash flowing the wedding expenses until those were taken care of, and then in March, I believe March fifteenth, somewhere around then, yeah, we made our made our final payment. So it took about took us about fifteen months to get it all done. Cool. So it's 15 months and it was, sorry, it was 34 K 30, somewhere in that range. That yeah. Right? It was, it was just under 32, just under 32 K. Well, congratulations. That's, Appreciate that. that's awesome. Uh, and I think it's such a wise choice and not necessarily an easy choice to look at one another and say, you know, do we want to move back? Do we want to move across the country? A that's a tough choice to make. Do we want to move away from where your wife's classes are, where her professors are? That's a tough choice to make. Do we want to move back in with, with my parents to save more money, to pay off this debt? All tough choices, but I give you guys kudos for, for making those decisions. One thing, Adam, I wanted to turn back and talk about, you brought up the infamous invest versus pay down debt debate, where right the logic is you can invest money and turn uh Earn, earn returns on that money at say like 8% per year in the stock market, or you can pay down your debt, which might only have an interest rate of what, what was your interest rate roughly speaking? So they varied. It was between three and I think the highest one was round six. So the three to six range. Gotcha. So, so on a mathematical point of view, like a pure, if you were a spreadsheet and not a human being, the answer would be to invest your money because you're getting the higher rate of return. But can you walk us through, even if it's just in 30 seconds, can you walk us through your and your wife's mindset in terms of, you know, the choice to pay down the debt rather than pursue the larger gains from investments? Yeah. So, I mean, like my wife and I were both ambitious people and the way we saw the debt was more or less a roadblock for some things. It was going to eat at our monthly, you know, monthly cash. We we're going to have these payments going on. Um, so for us, kind of like what I mentioned is, we really just wanted to get that chapter done with. And as we were, you know, started and we're going full on and just throwing money at it, it just, to us, it didn't really, I guess in our minds make sense to kind of stop what we were doing to invest the money. We just really wanted the debt gone and to play the devil's advocate for the, for, against the of investing is we had really no idea. Nobody does what the market is going to do at that time. And so you know, if it was a five-year, six-year window where we were going to be, you know, we had a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars in debt, it may have changed our mindset a little bit. But we knew it was going to be less than a year, 
And so there is a slim chance. I mean, looking back, obviously that would not have happened, but there is a slim chance that we would have been investing this money. And by the time we got to where we were ready to make, you know, the final payment or something nearby that the money could have been less. Um, there was always that possibility. And so I just think with the short amount of time we had, it just, we were just like, all right, let's just get it over with. And then we'll focus on investing and saving once this is done. There's a huge psychological component to what you said. And I wrote down this quote, Adam, you said you wanted to get the chapter done with. And that has such a big effect for so many of us. We want to put a stamp on something and say that is done. And now I'm ready to move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas carrying that debt for a longer period of time, because on the side, you want to be investing your money. Maybe it would have worked out better for you mathematically. But holding kind of it's like juggling all those balls in the air, keeping all those plates spinning to use a couple different metaphors. That's mental work that a lot of us don't want to necessarily have to do. Closing the chapter reduces that mental work and, and makes us feel better about our decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's the other key to that is it, it would require a lot of discipline to be continually, continuously investing as you're paying it off because. Now you have that cash and if you're not auto putting it to your investments or whatever, it's easy to just start spending that. And then you're basically, you're in the same situation where you're making minimum payments and you know, then that money's just kind of slipping through your, through your grasps. Right. Not saying that, not saying that'd be the case for everybody, but that is a possibility that, that could happen. Yeah. Requires discipline. Totally requires discipline. Let's transition Adam and talk through, I mean, you already have talked through some, some very actionable steps that people can take, but when it comes to, the basics of money, whether it's budgeting, uh, spending, saving, investing. I'm curious, do you use any specific tools now? Do you have any specific habits, any, any major lessons learned that you're still carrying forward with your, with your personal finances today? Yeah. So, I mean, like with the budgets, the one thing I'll preach to the end is that like the sustainability aspect of it is so crucial because you can, you can, I mean, you can budget and restrict yourself to death, but if you're not going to be able to sustain it for the long term, then I'd argue it's not really worth it because you're going to do it for a little bit. You're going to get frustrated and you're going to quit. And I try and harp on that, you know, budgets are only as restricting or restrictive as you allow them to be. I mean, you can, you're in control, you or your wife or whoever you're with, you guys are in control. And now don't go crazy and, you know, not invest anything and never save anything and just spend it all. But really to you, you know, it's, it's, it's in your, your power to make these decisions. And I guess when it comes to that, you know, there's obviously your expense, your normal expenses, you know, if you, you have your rent, your mortgage, maybe your food and some of those things, but it's always important too to make sure there's at least a little bit of room for fun, you know, quote unquote fun money or, you know, whatever your guilty pleasure or whatever it may be, you know, Netflix, Spotify, maybe you like going to get ice cream on Fridays, something like that. It's keeping those in there. And then, the, I guess the lesson I would put in it is that it, what I've learned is it doesn't really need to be anything complex. Like your budget can be super simple. And I think that sometimes people will get caught up thinking that your budget needs to have all these charts that are tracking everything and, you know, your cash flow. And yeah, it's, those are good things to have, but they're not essential, basically. Like you're like, like how our budget is and still largely is the same. It's you really only need an income and an expense column. And then. That's, that's, that's where I'd go with budgets. Room for fun is huge. One of the biggest myths I think that I hear from people on the outside looking in is a, your budget seems very restrictive. Uh, it seems like a habit that I would never want to keep up with in the first place. And then it seems like you 
don't do anything fun, right? You're pinching pennies. And, and that's just simply not the case, at least for my budget. And it sounds like for your budget too, I have lots of fun on my budget. The point is I plan for it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I set aside money for that fun. I don't just spend on a whim on fun. And then after the fact, I look back and I do the tracking exercise that we talked about before. And I say, how much did I actually spend? And do I need to move money around to make everything reconcile after the fact? That's all. Still have tons of fun. It's not restrictive. It's just that I I track it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things that you'll hear about on Twitter. Just specifically talk about one line item budget is the start is the coffee thing. (laughs) Buying Starbucks. My wife, she loves Starbucks. She gets a strawberry acai refresher. I don't, very frequently uh-huh. that's, but that's one of those things. It's like, we've agreed on it. She gets it. It's guilt-free spending. You know, I'm never going to harp on her for spending it. And so it's just little items like that, that, you know, instead of feeling guilty or overspending, you you plan for it and you roll with it. Yeah. It's too bad that Susie Orman. And then I think his name is David Bach. They both wrote books where latte was in the title <laughs> and, and, you know, both those books sold hundreds of thousands of copies because they're both famous financial writers. And now it's just like the most popular myth in personal finance is that lattes and avocado toast are preventing people like you and me, Adam, from ever retiring. Yeah. It's an old, tired, old, tired myth. You mm-hmm. mentioned one thing, Adam, there. I thought it was great. It reminded me of a Tim Ferriss podcast I once listened to that then inspired me to go around and turn around and write a blog post. The most important aspect of a habit is your ability to adhere to that habit. You called it sustainability, the Mm -hmm. the ability to sustain that habit. And Tim Ferriss said, you know, is it any good to start running five miles a day if three days in you realize your shins are killing you and you don't run anymore? Or would you just be better off saying, I'm going to run two miles a day and make that my habit and actually do it? The two-mile habit is better. Similar with budgets, like you just said, the simple budget, if that's the one that you can stick to, is infinitely better than a complex budget that you're just going to quit. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Adam, how are you working with others? You have all this knowledge and you have all this really good experience. You have a great story that people are following. So how are you working with others or putting together some sort of project or program in the future? I'm just curious what, what you have planned. Yeah. So basically right now, the large amount of my time when it comes to helping other people, it's spent on Twitter um, I have started working through emails. Basically, I've been slowly kind of building an email list. I was sending out a weekly newsletter, but um, kind of some other priorities showed up, and that's kind of taken a little bit of the backseat, but I'm trying to get that reamped. I recently started, it, this might sound a little funny, but I started a Facebook group where it's basically a personal finance group, and I've been trying to kind of get people into there. So, at that point, you know, with Twitter, you're sending a tweet out, people are replying, and then you're kind of re- replying to every response. But the point of the group was that you could kind of build a community, and then it wouldn't necessarily require you to be there all the time, answering all the questions or whatnot. You could have a lot of the other community members answering questions or, you know, asking questions, whatever whatever they needed. So doing that, and then I'll tease a little bit. I am working on another project. I'm not going to give away too much, too many details, but probably in the next two months, that's probably what it's going to be around two months. It'll be, I'll start uh, hyping it up a little more as we get closer, but just stay tuned for that. I will. That sounds exciting. You've got me, uh, you've got me enticed. I'll stay tuned. 
<laughs> the Facebook group, that's a great point. I made a Facebook group. I have a Facebook page, I should say, for the best interest. Mm-hmm. I find it, I think it's too narrow in focus. And so people look at it and they're like, I don't really want to follow this guy's business. But I think if I had opened it up and I'm, I'm interested in your Facebook group, because it sounds like you have opened it up just to a personal finance discussion group. Mm-hmm. And I think is that that's the kind of thing that sounds like to me, it could build momentum and could end up really helping people. So I'm interested. I, I'll look into that, Adam. I'll, I'll join your group. I appreciate that. Okay, Adam. So this is the, this is the one, the one question we got from Twitter. It's when are we all meeting up in Vegas again from Stephen wealthy? That is a good question. That is a good question. I, uh, I would prefer we wait a couple of months before it cools down for it to cool down. It was, it was blistering when we were down there last weekend. Kelly, my girlfriend is there right now as we are speaking. And I think it's been 110 plus each of the days she's been there, which here on the East coast, we always say about the West coast, like, Oh, but it's a dry heat in the desert. It's kind of this, you know, in, in quotes with a smile on her face. I don't care if it's dry heat. 110 sounds pretty hot to me. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it doesn't, the dryness helps, but it's still a, uh... When, when it's, you know, nighttime, 10 o'clock at night, and it's still 105 plus. It's, it's intense. That's crazy. So someday, I'd love to go to Vegas. I've never been there. Next question, though. What's the last material object or personal luxury that you spent $100 or more on? So that's a good question. I had to, th- I got to think about that one. I would guess it's going to, or what it was, was a travel golf bag. When I went down to Scottsdale in June, that was, I'm not a huge, I do like the little five, $10 purchases. It's not as common. I'll get over the hundred dollar mark. So yeah, travel golf bag. Gotcha. Are you a, a big golfer? Do you golf a lot? I don't golf as much as I would like to, but, um, you know, if I keep it under a hundred, I'm pretty pleased. Nice. Nice. That's better than me. <laughs> <laughs> What's a good habit that you're trying to form or a bad habit that you are trying to break? So I just recently started trying to run before work each morning. So I've changed my alarm clock to wake me up about uh, about 30 minutes earlier so I can run about a mile, a mile and a half. Uh, haven't been as successful as I would like to be, but I'll just keep at it and I'll hopefully the snoozes will get less and less. Uh, the habit I'm trying to break would probably be on the flip side of going to bed earlier. Um, I like to be in bed you know, the 945, 10 range, like under the sheets, ready to go. Uh, but just with work and how life's been, especially with my wife's work, she works a lot. Uh, we've been getting closer to the 11 o'clock range. So definitely trying to make that a little earlier. Sleep is huge. I'm one of those people that I cannot operate if I don't have good sleep. And, uh, and I'm not always good at going to bed on time or falling asleep quickly. So mm-hmm. I'm right there with you. That's such an important habit. And it, the more I listen to experts talk and the more kind of podcasts I listen to where they bring on sleep experts, it sounds like the science is really starting to build up to say like your sleep is one of the most important things that you can focus on. Oh yeah. You need, need to recharge. It's incredibly important. Yeah. And then, you know, not a scientist here. I'm just a guy. <laughs> I'm just a guy with a podcast that talks about money, but as someone who listens to experts talk, I believe that is what they're saying. Uh, what's your favorite financial tool, Adam, or or app or service that you use and why? So I would probably have to say Mint. 
Um, the reason why I like mint is just because it tracks everything in one place. And, you know, whether it be my Vanguard account or Coinbase, I know there's really high fees there, but <laughs> I still have Coinbase. And, you know, you have the two-factor authentication. It's just kind of, it's a little bit of a, not annoying, but it's just a little bit of a hassle logging into each thing. So I just really like Mint because everything's in one central location. So as soon as I sign in, it's got all of my accounts there for me. Excellent. And Mint's still free, right? It was free when I was using it. Is it still yep. free? Still free. Awesome. And last question, Adam, if you had a billboard and you could share any message with the world, what would you put on that billboard? I would say that it's never too late. Partly because that can apply to so many different things. So whether that be finances, you know, your health, a relationship you're trying to mend, whatever it may be, just because that can be so open-ended, it could anybody reading it, it could apply to something in their lives. I love that one. <laughs> I really do. So Adam, if anybody wants to get a hold of you or wants to follow along on your projects or they want to learn about what's coming in two months that we're all excited for, how can they reach you? How can they follow you? Well, so you can find me on Twitter. That's where I'm the most active. My handle is at Adam Schaup. My last name's S-H-O-U-P. And then on there, if you really want to get connected, which I'd appreciate, on my location, there is a link you can click and basically provide your email and I'll give you a free budget. Basically, I've got a, a you know a bone structure of a template that basically just requires your inputs. You can do on your own. And then if you want to join the Facebook group, the name is called Personal Finance Community hyphen debt and investing. Excellent. And I'll, I'll make sure to throw those links into the show notes. That was fantastic, Adam. Thank you so much for coming on to the Best Interest Podcast with us. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Another huge shout out to Adam. Thank you, Adam, for coming on to the Best Interest Podcast for this episode. I have included all of Adam's links in the show notes, so make sure to go give him a follow. Check out that Facebook page. Adam is a great person to, to know, to bounce ideas off of. He's a great guy. If you want to reach out to me, my email is jesse at bestinterest.blog. On social media, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter, where my username is bestinterest underscore jc. I also have a small but growing Instagram account where my account is the underscore best underscore interest. And if you find this valuable and you want to give back, I have three easy options for you to do so, all free for you. You can subscribe to the podcast or you can leave a rating or a review of the podcast. Uh, for example, Ashman Scoops wrote in and said, Jesse is an incredibly sharp guy. The content he creates for his Best Interest podcast and blog is very informative and insightful. He's got stuff for everyone, from the amateur investor to the seasoned financial expert. Highly recommended. Thank you, Ashman Scoops. I think you are an incredibly sharp guy. Thank you for those kind words. We can continue to invest in one another because, as Ben Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Sharing with others is investing in their knowledge. So thank you all for listening to episode 26 of the Best Interest Podcast.
One thing, Adam, that you touched on as well is the classic invest versus pay debt <laughs> debate. Yeah. I'm going to pause here. I don't know if you could hear the fire engines in the background, but there's a, a fire truck. I'm just going to give it like 10 seconds to yeah, no worries. pass, and then I'll just I'll, I'll do another intro to the invest versus pay debt. And you're Dave fuming already. <laughs> Dude, I got to believe in his heart of hearts that Dave is like, yes, I believe my numbers and I know the numbers make sense. But whatever you got to do to help yourself sleep at night is right. And it's just like his, his, his Twitter persona is like, but the numbers. Yeah, yeah. I give, him, I give him credit. He does not back down. Yeah, no, he doesn't. 